There are so many reasons not to skip breakfast. So many savory, mouth-watering, tasty, delicious beyond all belief reasons. Actually, that last one was pretty convincing. Stop by for a McDonald's breakfast. Mix and match a sausage biscuit, sausage McMuffin, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Any two for just two bucks. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal. Hey guys, if you enjoyed this episode, please support this podcast by going to talkmurder.com slash join and becoming a Taco Supremo. Hello, John, Jen, and Nicole. Kristen here. I'm a new Taco Supremo, though I've listened for a few years now, so I guess I would consider myself a taco OG. So anyways, the word that us true crime lovers always hear thrown around is prolific. So-and-so serial killer is the most prolific of all time, yada, yada, yada. Well, how come none, nope, not one, of my favorite true crime podcasts have yet covered this ultimate angel of death, Charles Cullen? You want to talk prolific? This guy is batting 400. Anyways, like I said, you guys are my favorite podcasts, and I'm so glad that I finally became a Taco Supremo. Your biggest and most obsessed fan, Kristen. Yes, Kristen, I know we're doing your story. That's about all I know. Kristen up in New York. And the hint that she gave us this evening was intravenous. Oh. And so, obviously, when you type in intravenous cocktail into Google, yeah. you get some things that we're obviously not going to do here. Yeah. Like what? Well, um. well, well. there's one intravenous thing that is apparently very common. It's called the Meyer cocktail or the Meyer intravenous cocktail or whatever. And it's like an injection of like vitamins and whatevers. So, um, oh, I thought you were talking about something sexual. No, intravenous. I thought you were talking about boofing. Where are we? I mean, I guess we could do boofing, but. <laughs> we should all boof a drink once. <laughs> uh, can, can Jen and I put up our hoo-ha instead of our butt? No, that's, no, I don't want to boof. I just like the word. Yeah. No, I would, I mean, I, I just, I wouldn't put anything up my butt, so. Um, so, so the Meyer cocktail is what came up for intravenous things. Um, and so it made me think of Meyer lemons. Mm, like in the soap. Yeah. So Meyer lemons are like lemony, but also kind of have like an orangey taste. So I took some lemon juice, um, a little bit of orange juice, some sugar and vodka. And voila, we have our Meyer oh. martini. Did you make this up yourself? Yeah. It's delicious. It's Thanks. too bitter. And do you want more sugar? That's funny because is that going to make it not bitter? It's going to make it, it not as uh, yeah, like pure lemon juice. Okay, yeah, sure. I didn't know that there was more than one kind of lemon. Yeah, Meyer Meyer lemons they taste a little different, and just like there are different kinds of banana. You mean like plantain? No, like there's there were different species. Oh, there of are bananas. blue bananas, which apparently taste like vanilla. Huh. I've seen purple bananas. So tonight we have a request from one of our good friends and Taco Supremos, Kristen. Oh, hey, Kristen. From New York. Kristen's relatively new, right? Yeah. She's new, a new, new joiner. We do have a new Supremo. She's from California. She requests not to get a shout out. 
But, oh. you know. Well, that's okay. Thanks for supporting us. Yeah, yeah thanks hey, for supporting us. Hey, New Taco. I think she's an undercover agent. Oh, well, that's badass. No, she's actually a nurse. Oh. <laughs> also cool. But that could be a cover oh. story, could be. you know? It very well could be. Yeah, I guess. Anything could be a cover story. Mm-hmm. So, with the hint being intravenous, I think this is kind of like the... Um, uh, the Deacon of called? Death? Yeah, the, the nurse one, though. Oh. Um, Elizabeth Wetlaw. Yes. Yeah. Um, I So I think this is a, a nurse murderer story, and this takes place in, I'm going to say 1988. And we're going, I think we're going to New York. Okay. I think that it, that we're talking about someone who has um, in, a drug problem. Mm. And, or, and, or the victims are, are drug addicts. Ooh. Oh, like a heroin needle. Yeah. Surprise shots. Surprise shots. We don't know what they are because they're a surprise. Oh, God damn it. What is this? And why is it it's such a big shot It's called a surprise. This is what I have. Did you mix a whole bunch of shit together? <coughs> that tasted like something that... Ugh, that's like cough medicine. No, it was worse than cough medicine. Was that the current... Liquor. It was. It was. It wasn't that terrible. It tasted very sugary. So tonight we are doing a very special story for our supporter, Kristen. Thank you so much for requesting this. This is an angel of death story, like Nicole guest. Yes. So if you guys don't know, or if you're new to murder, an angel of death is someone that works in the medical field that kills their patients. Mm. And... I think we've done only two Angel of Death stories before. We've done Elizabeth Elizabeth Wetlaufer from Canada, obviously. Yep, yep, and obviously. And we've done a, a Belgian guy named Ive Pope, and he was from uh, he's from Belgium. And that was a great case. Mm, that was good. Yeah. Yeah. These case. So the Angel of Death cases aren't as popular as you know the Dahmer eating faces off type of cases. But they are really interesting. And does anyone want to take a guess before we get started how many victims this guy has? And his name is Charles Cullen. Ooh, Cullen? Cullen. Cullen. 56. Like the vampire. Oh, yeah. Is um, that a vampire? Like in the Twilight. Like Twilight. Oh, God. Edward Cullen. <laughs> <laughs> like the vampire. That's duh. not a real yeah. vampire. What other vampire do you know of aside from the Japan story that we just covered? How about Dracula? <laughs> Are you serious? Okay, but, but did you Stoker? know his last name was Cullen? No. Anyway, um, I think I'm going to go with 146. So Charles Cullen, the angel of death, has reportedly killed up to four Ooh. people. I was kidding. It's 400. Wow. wow. <laughs> well, shit. <laughs> He has reportedly killed up to 400 people, even though he's only admitted to 30 or 40 of those. But the author of the book we're reading tonight, which is a, a fantastic book, is called The Good Nurse. Hmm. Is it is it just me, or is it that anytime you think of a male nurse, you think of um, Meet the Fockers yeah. or Meet the Parents? Yeah, yeah. Meet the Parents. <laughs> I have nipples, Greg. Can you milk me? <laughs> so, Still my favorite line from that movie. Hey. Hey, this is Greg. Remember we talked about him? Hey. 
Sorry, Greg. The car only comes in one gender. Oh, yeah, no, that's, that's all right. <laughs> the author, Charles Graber, spent seven years writing this book. It's a fantastic book. I love his writing style. But he estimates that it is up to 400 people. How many do you think? I would be, I would be very surprised, as would pretty much everyone I've spoken to with any knowledge of, of this case, if it was not in the hundreds, multiple hundreds. So has anybody here heard of Charles Cullen? No. Cullen. So when I first saw this photo right here that you're looking at, I thought that this was a, an actual movie. Tell me this doesn't look like an actual movie. Yeah, that's not a movie? Yeah. No, it's not a movie. That's him getting interviewed in jail. Oh. But doesn't it look like he's in an actual movie? Yeah, yeah it looks like he it looks like he is playing the role of his fucking life right now. He's acting the shit out he's of this He's playing phone call. a Liam Liam Neeson yeah. role right there. Dude, I, I saw that and I was like, this is what movie is this? And then I was like, wow, this is like a real interview. You'll you'll see some of that interview tonight. So if you're listening to this and you're new here, I put all the pictures, videos, and media on talkmurder.com. So we're starting off on June 14th. That guy looks like Hannibal. Oh, oh yeah. he does look like Hannibal. Yeah, Hannibal. Anthony Hopkins. Hopkins. So this is John Yingo Sr. He was a judge. This newspaper clipping right here is from the Ashbury Park Press, New Jersey. So tonight we're going to New Jersey and Pennsylvania. Mm. So this is the first victim that Charles Cullen has killed. Now, as you saw from the Meet the Fockers mm. video, he is an RN, a registered nurse, a mm-hmm. male registered nurse. Mm-hmm. If you want to read some of this clipping... John W. Yango Sr., 72, a lawyer and judge, died Saturday at the St. Barnabas Medical Center, Livingston Township. Mr. Yango had his own law practice for approximately 40 years here. He served as a Jersey City Municipal Court judge from 1974 to 1976 and was named the Outstanding Citizen by the mayor in 1976. He was a member of the Holy Name Society of St. Aloysius Church. Here was president of Mount Carmel Society and a member for 50 years. Yeah, so that's the first victim. So in this story and all the other angel of death stories, it's really hard to get into the details of the actual murder because they all die pretty much the same depending on what drug is given. So... Elizabeth like Wetlauver, mm-hmm. the Canadian nurse, she would give insulin. Mm-hmm. The guy that we did, Ivo Pope, from air. Belgium, he did air. Mm-hmm. So this guy, Charles Cullen, that has killed 400 people, used a variety of weapons, the first being lidocaine. So he killed this judge, Yingo Sr., with lidocaine, very first thing. Now, we're going to get back to why he did it, but this was in 1988, This is way before they knew that they had a serial killer on his hands. I mean, this Mm -hmm. guy, this is one of 400. So the paper here says nothing about all the suspicious circumstances or anything. It was just natural causes. All right. So before we get started, I want to say I'm not a medical professional in any way. I may say some stuff that's wrong. I am bringing one of our friends. He's a pharmacist, Will the Pill. He is the host of the Quackery podcast that you can find. He's going to help me with all these medicines and stuff like that so I don't screw it up. But there's a few different ways he was killing patients. First is lidocaine. Then he moved to digoxin, which we're going to talk about. That was his main weapon, which no other nurse that I have done a story on or no, use that to kill people. Also, insulin, which is what I feel like most angel of deaths would use to kill people. Mm-hmm. And 
some other stuff as well. So Charles Cullen killed 400 people over a total of 16 years. He goes through dozens of complaints, dozens of disciplinary citations, four separate, four separate police investigations. What? Two lie detector tests, which he passes both, and I'm going to tell you how he passed them both, is by taking a certain cocktail of medications, which is pretty smart. So I'm going to teach you guys how to do that. Oh, God. (laughs) For real. (laughs) Excellent. You never know when that might come in handy. At least 20 personal suicide attempts, numerous long stays in psychiatric wards, months or more, sometimes up to six months. He's worked in nine different hospitals and one nursing home. Oh, all of wh- That's like the worst place to put him. Yeah. yeah. All of which he was either fired from or, quote, asked to resign. Mm. So 400 people in 16 years. That's 40 people a year, isn't it? The age range is from 21 years old. Whoa. Yeah. To 82, I believe. I mean, way up there. I'm surprised that he is targeting people so young. Oh, yeah. He'll kill anyone. This guy will kill anyone. But it, it amazingly, I mean, for the um, number of times that where he has, like, investigations, terminations. Yeah. People clearly knew he was so doing something. So how did he keep getting hired? Right. Uh, that's the road I want to go down tonight. Because he worked at nine different hospitals before wow. they got him. Seems very long overdue. And the book we're reading from tonight is called The Good Nurse, and it's appropriately titled because Charles Cullen was easy to schedule. He could work nights. He could work weekends or holidays, and he has no responsibilities. Basically, he's a good hire. Mm. And <laughs> Well, except when you look at his work history and that he has had nine different employers. So we're going to start from his childhood. This is a little picture of him as a little... Taught there. He was born in West Orange, New Jersey, February 22nd, oh. 1960. He was number eight out of eight, and he was the last one to be born. Mm. Very poor family. From all the accounts I've seen, the mother did her best to shield him because he was the runt, the litter, if you will. Mm-hmm. He was born last. He was scrawny. He was always picked on. His brothers were heavy drug addicts, his mm-hmm. older brothers. And his sisters were in and out of pregnancies all the time. They were always getting pregnant. The abusive boyfriends would come over and stay at the house, even when the sister had broken up with the boyfriend and moved out on her own. The abusive ex-boyfriend would still stay in the shitty-ass house in West Orange, New Jersey. His father died when he was seven months old. But before he died, he made sure to tell his son that he was a, quote, pregnancy mistake. Mm. Oh, gosh. At age eight, he tries to poison one of the abusive boyfriends Mm. by putting lighter fluid in this guy's cocktail. Wow. Which is kind of like a sign to things to come. Yeah. Yeah. Now, his mom seemed to care a lot about Charlie, but... Think about it. You got eight kids. You're all in abject poverty. There is no way out. There's drugs. I mean, they're they're in the slums. Mm -hmm. West Orange, New Jersey. They're in the slums. There is no hope at all. Not only that, when Charlie was 17 years old, and I'm going to get a little bit into how he was bullied in high school, but his mother died in a car wreck 
when he was 17 years old. And now this is the last anchor to humanity this guy has, right, is his mother. And Mm. and she was the one that was sticking up for him. Yeah, the only one that was sticking up for him. She dies in a car wreck. He was so distraught at the hospital, which was Mountainside Hospital, Mm -hmm. because they kind of whisked the body away. They didn't let him see his mother's body, stuff like that. So Mm -hmm. he was very upset with the hospital which was the mountainside hospital which is still there today and not only that when charlie eventually decides to go to nursing school he decided to go to mountainside where his mother was was officially you know coded mm-hmm. if you will right but when he was in school he didn't know he was going to go to nursing school yet but he was actually extremely intelligent at 15 he was reading some pretty heavy philosophy books. His favorite was Crime and Punishment by mm. Dostoevsky, huh. Theodore Dostoevsky. I've never read it, but he has written a lot of books and they're very heavy philosophy books. Charlie had absolutely no friends in high school. He was he was beat up, he was bullied. I saw one source that he did make it to one high school party, but he poisons the punch bowl. Oh. He poisons the punch bowl. With rat poison. Oh, my gosh. And <laughs> luckily, no one died. But that's just another. I mean. He's if, trying to tell everybody at the party. If oh, my it's, gosh. If hindsight's twenty twenty, dude, this guy, you could go back and be like, yep, this dude's going to be a nurse and he's going to try to poison everybody. He's poisoned his sister's abusive boyfriend. Not that he didn't deserve it. And yeah. he poisoned the entire high school. Yeah, uh, that that's definitely you know, crazy. The jocks. And not only that, when he was nine years old, he tried to kill himself. He took a chemistry set and mixed all the chemicals together and drank it. What? That was his first time trying to commit suicide. Wow. Poor kid. Mm. Charlie did start to make something of himself. He joins the Navy. He actually dropped out of high school, which I said he was a good student. Hmm. But he dropped out of high school because of the abuse and the bullying he was receiving. He joins the Navy. Was and there a reason why they were bullying him? He was just a scrawny... He was scrawny, and, and he'll see. He's he's a weirdo, man. Hmm. He's, like, really weird. Like, hmm. creepy weird. Kind of like me. You know, I'm just, like, so creepy. But I, I'm good looking, so people kind of look past that. <laughs> I did. <laughs> he was in the Navy on the USS Woodrow Wilson, hmm. where he was assigned to guarding nuclear warheads, which oh. is freaking awesome. Yeah, that, that that seems like not a good combination. <laughs> yeah. He's He's got the key to the code. Yeah. yeah. But um, one story he did tell one of his friends later when he was a nurse is that they had taken his rifle away and he had to guard the missiles with a a billy club like wow oh like the cops have (laughs) yeah oh my gosh that's that's gonna do a lot of good he was known as charlie fishbelly not only was he bullied in high school real bad he was bullied a lot worse in the navy yeah yeah he should have known that maybe the armed services would not be a safe place for him yeah no shit I mean, we would have. I mean, we would have had a towel party it, with this guy. It, oh my god, no! It could have straightened <laughs> him up, you know, and, and and made him tougher. But yeah. Well, in the navy, not straighten him up, more like bending him over. Oh my god! Hey. <laughs> Shit. He was getting bullied so bad that he was getting so bad that he turned to 
alcohol, a lot of it. And this is when he first finds out that he could fake a suicide. And remember when I said earlier that he has over 20 suicide attempts? Mm -hmm. Well, none of those he actually wanted to kill himself. Well, maybe like one or two, but most of them he just wanted to go into this really nice psych ward you know, and have people take care of him have for people a while, take care of him for three months. So and he's a nurse. So he knows how much to take before he hits that, you know, mm-hmm. that bell curve mm-hmm. of killing himself. Mm. So he took just enough all the time. That's how he's got so many. Wow. And he noticed that he gets sympathy when he does that, because if you try to kill yourself, then people will be like sympathetic. Nice, yeah. yeah. Extra nice to you. All right. So let's just say he's had a shitty run in life already. In June of 1987, he graduates Mountainside Nursing School and he gets a job right off the bat at St. Barnabas Medical Center. Now, this is where he kills his first patient. And this hardly never happens from what I saw. But a brand new nurse straight out of nursing school usually does not go to the burn center where, you know, Victims are burned, third degree, Mm -hmm, second degree, car wrecks, whatever, campfires, whatever. That doesn't happen because, as I was reading in this book, the burn ward, according to all the other nurses there, is also referred to as the, quote, scream ward. Mm. And Hmm. it would... It's just not for inexperienced people? No, it's just really brutal. And you'll hear him say it in a second, but he kind of started to blame his killings on seeing all these, you know, because a lot of people die from the burn center. If you want to go ahead and read this, Hmm. this is what Charlie's job was at the burn center. This is from the book, The Good Nurse. Charlie's job was to clean these burn victims on a metal gurney to scrape and wash away the charred necrotic skin with antibacterial soap. Even within the field of critical care medicine, this is almost unimaginably gruesome procedure. As a first job straight out of nursing school, it's something close to hell. Ugh. Yeah, so in the book, it gets pretty in detail about the burn victims. But it was interesting because the nurses have what they call the rule of nines. So this hmm. is to determine a mortality rate. Now, this isn't in the textbooks or whatever, but this is how they do things. And their dark humor, you know, mm-hmm. but you basically count each body part as a nine if it's burned really badly. Like, let's say your leg, your right leg is a nine, your left leg is a nine, your back is a nine. Mm-hmm. Okay. And then your arms are fine, so you don't count them or whatever. Then you take that and you, you sum it to the person's age, and then that number equals the mortality rate. So kinda, the likelihood that they'll die? Yeah, it's kind of wow, kind of uh, interesting how they do things there. Yeah. Like there was a 21-year-old, I think it was 21 or 22 or something like that. He was in a fatal car crash, and he was locked in the car after it crashed, and he burned until they finally got him out. He died, but he was like a, even when he was 21 years old, but he's burned completely all through his body. So they were talking about that in the book. If you want to read this. Burn victims are connected to machines, lines snaked into wrists and femoral arteries, plastic tubes shoehorned into holes top and bottom, saline electrolytes, pain meds, anxiety meds, liquefied food, 
The body swells with fluids, sometimes doubling in size. The scrotum inflates like a beach ball. The eyes puff to slits. The lips balloon and break like overcooked sausages. The body swells against the skin until the patient is as hard as carved marble. The blood vessels are squeezed shut. The core begins to die. Oof. Did you ever read the book Joel? No. It was one of our summer reading books when I was in high school. I think it was like my freshman year. And it was about this kid who who got into a car accident and he was burned over, I think, 60% of his body, like third degree burns. And they were going to try to get him to speak at our high school. Yeah, it was a great book to read as a freshman, like eighth grader going into ninth grade as a freshman. But he was from New Hampshire or, he, or it happened in New Hampshire, hmm. the, the car accident. I worked on the burn unit, so, I mean, there was a lot of pain, a lot of suffering. And I didn't cope with that as well as I thought I would. And that was the first place that you gave someone medication that caused them to die. So that right there was the only interview he's ever given any media source. Hmm. That was 60 Minutes and the interview with Charles Cullen inside of his jail cell there. But, yeah, he's talking about the burn center and as you'll see, if you watch this interview, I'm going to put it on talkmore.com. And I noticed this with other angel of deaths, too. They don't want to take responsibility. They're not going to straight out say they're a serial killer, a psychopath, or whatever. Most of them are going to say that they were helping the end victims suffering. end suffering mm-hmm, and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And that's why they're called angel of death, I guess. But he's the same way. So if you watch the interview, he'll talk about the burn center and how that kind of molded his mind to... You know, want to kill. Well, even right there in that clip, you know, he was saying there's a lot of pain and suffering and I didn't cope with it. Well, which it was kind of him taking responsibility, but not at the same time. Yeah. It's an excuse. Yeah. For sure. Mm-hmm. So one year later, after he went to the burn center, he killed that that judge for the first time. He gave him lidocaine. But 1987, he's out of med school and he's at the burn center and it's gruesome as shit. Yeah. But this is the best time of his life because he meets a a girl, a computer programmer named Adrian, and they become husband and wife. She eventually gives him two daughters. It wow. should be the perfect time for him. I mean, he's he's got a really good job, you know, even though it's kind of brutal. And he's got a wife and she's pregnant and all this stuff. It should be a happy time. Mm-hmm. But it wasn't. Mm. And he started pulling away from his marriage and from his kids and from his responsibilities. And and I'm sure you're going to get into this, but I am curious if he was aware, like a judge is a very high profile person. I mean, mm-hmm. I know that he's 72 when he's murdered. Um, it, it almost makes you wonder, like, is he targeting people, certain people or are they no. totally random? All right. That's a really good question. And I was going to kind of get into that later. From what I have seen, is very impersonal. So it doesn't matter. It's it doesn't matter. It's who a, he feels he can get away with. Well, not even that. Not even that. Because this guy, since the first murder of that judge, mm-hmm. he was thinking in his head, you know, all right, when's the cops coming? Like, when are they going to come get me? Like, you know <laughs> what I'm saying? He wasn't covering his tracks at all. You know, and 400 people, like, come on. This guy would kill to relieve the stress. Mm. So it didn't matter if the victim was male, female, 
young or old. It didn't matter. It mm-hmm. was just, okay, I think I can kill this guy or this girl. I don't think any, I'm not going to get caught or whatever. But he didn't try too hard not to get caught, as you'll find out. Right. I'm just wondering where the line is. I mean, obviously, he was murdering people. But where is the line where you, where you, you know, did, when they got enough evidence to to say that it was murder as opposed to medical malpractice? Um, well, hmm. you're going to see because it's two different things. Malpractice is like, ah, oh, shit. You know, accidental. I right. accidental like fuck, you know, I chopped his left arm off yeah. instead of his right arm. But I mean, but he th- was in the perfect field for someone, you know, for a serial killer because you can almost be like, oh, well, shoot, I didn't mean to. Yeah, but do giving that. someone insulin when they don't when they're not diabetic and a large dose to kill them is murder. Giving yeah. someone insulin a little dose by mistake. Oh, fuck, I thought he was diabetic. Or whatever. That's one thing. But yeah. I mean, he would spike these bags. Probably the volume of it. Too. The volume, dude. And he'd put people in commas. Oh, shit. Like all the time. And he would do it, too, right when he leaves for the night shit. Right when he leaves time work. To go home. Yeah. yeah, he's like, ah, time to go get some sleep. And he would spike the bag. <laughs> oh, my gosh. <laughs> it like helped him sleep better. Oh, my gosh. At night or something. Knowing that they were going comatose. His wife gets pregnant with his first daughter, February 1988. It should be a grand time, but he starts pulling away and he's down in the basement, which is like the basement from Home Alone. That's kind of how I yeah, picture, you know, yeah. the basement with the uh, the heater that's like, <laughs> you remember that? Mm-hmm. He's down there. There's like no lights down there at all. And he's down in this sulky basement getting drunk. And trying to hide it from his wife. Eventually, he just doesn't care. And he just goes in the basement mm. and gets hammered all the time. Does he go into work drunk? Oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, he's always drunk. And the wife found out, and I actually put this in notes because I thought this kind of kind of cool little quote. Love can't compete with death. Oh. So, like, you know, people like police officers or nurses or whatever, they see death all the time. Mm. You know, love can't compete mm-hmm. with that. Anyway, he becomes really distant as a husband and a father and she'll tell the divorce courts and her attorney that he's almost treating her like another one of his patients, huh. you know, just kind of not even looking at her stuff like that. Mm. She began to get really worried when the puppy disappeared <gasps> and Charlie didn't care. Uh, he most likely killed it. <gasps> but they had two Yorkshire Terriers. One of them disappeared, oh, a.k.a. he killed no. it. But no, he was no. torturing them. Before that, he would he would throw them outside in the dumpsters, and the wife would come out, go out there and find the dogs in those big dumpsters. Oh my gosh, that's terrible. That would be the that would be the straw for me, man. Yeah, because she has two kids now. Man. Another time, Adrian remembers coming home, and the door is slightly ajar, and he's not home. He actually went out, but the baby's there. What? So no one was at home she confronts him about it because she's pissed and he says quote the baby wouldn't wake up anyway which means he most likely gave the baby what they call in the biz a liquid babysitter basically knocked it out with some whatever Uh... fucking (laughs) robitussin or whatever oh my god (laughs) Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so I'm assuming she divorces his ass. Yeah, she does. And I'm going to show you the divorce um, 
proceedings here in a second. We're going to like kind of roll through it right quick. But if you want to read this. Charlie was spending most of his time in the basement. She'd tried going down there a few times. She was afraid to try again. Finding him in the half dark, she had seen something, something disturbing about her husband's eyes. Adrian didn't quite know how to describe it. A cool blankness, a look that belied any feelings of love she might have imagined her husband still harbored for her. Sometimes Charlie's eyes would drift apart, watching two separate directions, as if each eye belonged to a separate being. Whoa. The neighbor's dog eventually disappears, too. It's like a little poodle thing. Uh He definitely killed that thing. So, like I said at the beginning, he started faking suicide attempts. And he did this a lot, actually. He would actually wait till his wife, his soon-to-be ex-wife, was walking into the kitchen. And he would flop himself on the floor, start foaming at the mouth, his tongue's out, like, ah, and then there's a bottle of pills. She eventually got so sick of it that she would, like, step over him. Oh. And, like, she picked up the pills. And, and the book says, crouching on the rug, picking up the pills one by one and placing each carefully back in the bottle. So he does this multiple times. And in several of the police. Say, you know, it would have been really just savage. So he like plans out how much he needs to take if she just like. Oh, added some more. <laughs> here's the five more. There you go. Let's just finish that job oh for God, you. That'd be terrible. So he would actually go to the police interviews and he would take the pills and he would time them. So when he's in the interview, he would collapse on the floor and start seizing and all this Uh, shit. He's like an actor. So he would constantly go to the psych wars. Now, this is when he was a nurse and going from hospital to hospital, which I'm about to talk about in a second. I tried to kill myself throughout my life because I never really liked being who I was. I didn't think I was worthy of anything. Boo-hoo. So that was a police interrogation of Charlie Cullen. And that's when he admitted to all this stuff. Hmm. But I, I'm going to put that on talkmer.com. Let's get on to his jobs, shall we? Enough talking about this guy. Let's get on to his nine hospitals he worked at. St. Barnabas Hospital, 1991. This is when he started using insulin to kill patients. And a lot of them. Hmm. I mean, this guy admitted to 40, but there's probably upwards of 400. Okay. It's so intense. Anyway, from my research, insulin acts like a volume control or a thermostat. If your blood sugar is really low, take glucose. So if if a diabetic has low blood sugar and he's in the hospital, they'll usually give him orange juice that raises his blood sugar up. Kind of makes it normal. But if the blood sugar gets too high, they give them insulin and it lowers it back down. Mm-hmm. So tries to keep, they try to keep them at this happy balance. Now, if the patient is not diabetic whatsoever, or if, for instance, Charles Cullen is working the night shift and now 20 of your patients who were not diabetic are now instant diabetics because he injects them all with insulin... This is kind of what happens. It's a roller coaster effect. Cold sweat, confusion, nausea, and shaking real bad. Okay. So this is what happens when you give insulin. This, this to is what happens, yeah. This is what happens when someone 
is overdosed with insulin. If the blood sugar is too low, they'll give them orange juice. If that doesn't work, they'll give them an IV of dextrose. All right, this is from the book right here. Quote, for months, codes had codes being like, you know, mm-hmm. the blue. Yeah. Yeah. kind of thing. For months, codes had become so frequent that they overlapped. The CCU, which is the critical care unit, nurses would need to leave one to attend another. Huh. The information was anecdotal and confusing. The incidents weren't confined to any one unit or any one shift, but across the intensive care, critical care and cardiac units, St. Barnabas patients were magically becoming instant diabetics. It's kind of interesting because the insulin, because the use of insulin as a weapon, if you will, Mm -hmm. was also was first studied by the Nazis like Mengele and all oh, these wow. people, oh, they right, were right, right. they were using insulin, and and that's how we get all of our statistics today. Like how much insulin before someone dies is because of the Nazi documents. Wow! Because they figured out the bell curve on which someone has just the right amount to when they go comatose and die. It was the Nazis that did that. Kind of interesting. Yeah, when they were doing all the human experiments. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The human like Mengele mm-hmm. or whatever. Which I want to cover that guy. This is in 1991. He started practicing in 1987. This is only three years later. He's already killed, uh, you know, some people. But St. Barnabas approaches him. This is only three years. I mean, he's killed people for 16 years. Mm -hmm. And they said, now the police were involved. Quote, we know you're putting something in the bags. And Charles Cullen responded, quote, you can't prove it. Okay. Wow, that's a ballsy response. Mm-hmm. He'd been spiking bags at random sometimes, sending them out like grenades. Charlie was certain that his fingerprints were all over the tainted IV bags. He hadn't bothered to wear gloves. He figured that if they wanted him, they had him. They accu- And they could have had him. They mm-hmm. accused him of killing multiple patients at this point. This is like the first hospital that has accused them. Do you know how they solved the problem? No. How? Just firing him. They didn't fire him. They stopped calling him in for shifts. <laughs> that is how they responded. They like just like stopped scheduling him? Yes. Wow. This is from the 60 Minutes interview. This is the author of the book talking. He was the main suspect for poisoning random bags of saline. He, if, you, if you talk to the investigators there, they'll tell you. Cullen was our man. We knew he was dirty. They couldn't prove anything. It's all circumstantial. They, they could him. have. He moved on. Well, we, insulin. But they 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 could have test like yeah, but they can't the prove it. This is just bef- like you said. Like everyone's it, fingerprints may have it on the bags. But Charlie would get there early and stock the medicine. Yeah, the fingerprints. Everyone's fingerprints. He's a stalker. Now, how he did it is spike the bags. Obviously, take a syringe. Boom. There's this thing called the piggyback on the IV bag. Now, I'm not a nurse or anything, but it's a little, it's like a little extra line which you can put medicine in. So he'd use that, or sometimes he would just spike it right into the bag itself. Like he didn't care. But they definitely knew that the bags were spiked because they took the bags, and under a microscope, you can see the actual marks in the bag. Mm. Okay. Now, this is before the computer system that they had. I don't know if you guys ever watched the show Nurse Jackie. No. That's a great show. It's on Netflix. 
it's about this nurse. Obviously, her name is Jackie, and it's about her daily life, but she's also like addicted to Vicodin and all kinds of shit, right? It's really good. But anyway, if you watch that show, you'll see what they call the Pyrex system. I believe that's what it's called, but it's like a computerized vending machine for drugs. If your patient needs insulin, you have to go to this machine type in your PIN number, it registers that you are getting whatever drug, and then it dispenses it to you. Mm -hmm. Okay, this is before that. So Mm. it was a lot harder for them to prove that he was actually doing it. Like like you just read, he was sending these IV bags out like grenades. Right. He wasn't going in and hanging them up on the line himself. He was just boom, 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 going down the line, spiking them all. And then the nurses would give that to their patients because they didn't know there was insulin in them. Hmm. So that's what he started doing. The first murder, like I said, John Yingo, he actually went in there. That was the judge. Severe case of sunburn. That's why he was in there. Oh, my God. Severe case of sunburn. And he overdoses on lidocaine, which he wouldn't even supposed to be getting lidocaine. Right. And they knew he did it. They stopped calling him in for shifts. Two weeks later, he was working at the Warren Hospital at a higher pay rate than his last job, plus a $7,000 sign-up bonus, which is going to become a common theme in this story. He moves from hospital to hospital, and not only do they not check references or take his word for everything, they increase his pay... And give him a bigger sign-in bonus. I hope that the hiring process is different now than it was back then. <laughs> no, yeah. it is not. What? I can promise you it is not. Well, at least there's stricter <laughs> rules on the drug dispensing. As you'll see, that shit doesn't work either. Oh. I mean, th- this is an anomaly, right? You have 99.9% of healthcare professionals doing the right thing. And then you got one like this guy, which... Yeah. You know, he's like a one percenter, right? He kills yeah. all the patients. And the, you know what I'm saying? Kind yeah. of thing. Yeah. He actually gets fired from Warren Hospital, too. Mm-hmm. Fired. Well, it's not fired. It These hospitals are not like, you're fired. They ghost them. No, they well, they either ghost them or they bring them in and say, hey, we'll make you a deal. We'll give you neutral references if you just, you know, quit. Because they don't want him to be like, oh, you fired me and I didn't do anything wrong type of shit. Get any legalities involved or but whatever. Wow. Did, Those hospitals are like, pussies. Dude. Yeah. <laughs> Seriously. So he would just be like, okay, because he can go down the road and this dude's making bank because I mean, he's going, he's getting a $10,000 bonus from each new the hospital. hospitals are lucky that the families of these people who are dying from these crazy things aren't suing the hospitals. Mm-hmm. So the fact that they're not even going after him is I mean maybe they're trying to draw attention to the, that the fact that there's an issue, but well it's interesting that they they offer the neutral references because I remember when I was working in HR, like we couldn't give really references on character or anything. It was yeah, like we yeah can't. they yes they worked here from this date to this date. That's all we can say. Same. So it's I don't know different world I guess. At Huntington, we've been asking ourselves, can we make saving money any easier? And we think we've solved it. Introducing Money Scout. It analyzes your spending habits, income, and expenses to find money not being used in your checking account, then pushes it to savings automatically. Why would a bank do that? Just to help people thrive. That's how we reinvent banking. Huntington, welcome. 
Subject to eligibility, terms, conditions, and account agreements. Learn more and enroll at Huntington.com slash Money Scout. If you go into a hospital and you look at a doctor or a professional like that, you think he's doing the right thing. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. He's got the experience. You're going to take his word for everything. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, and a lot of times the family was in there and a lot of them are seniors. So let's say, and this happened a few times, the grandma's in there and this nurse colon comes in and he says, I need to take your grandmother outside, you know, to run some tests. He wasn't going to do any tests. He just wanted to spike her. You oh know? my God. But he couldn't do it with the family there. Cause they'd be like, what are you putting in her IV bag, dude? Like, what the fuck is that? So he would take her outside. Boom. Spike her real quick. Sometimes in the bag, sometimes in her body, this one patient that ultimately died, she told her grandson, I believe her granddaughter that, this nurse stuck her and the doctor came in and was like, well, maybe it's a bug bite. What? Oh God. Shouldn't the doctor be trained to know what that is? (laughs) Well, that's the thing with these hospitals. They don't want their record to be scarred at all. This is really fucking interesting. So he's fired now from St. Barnabas and Warren hospital. And if you want to read this, this is freaking uh, from this is from the book. This is literally insane. When he cradled the phone five minutes later, Charlie wanted to laugh. Not out loud, of course. Laughing to oneself was discouraged in a psychiatric facility. But it was funny. The call had been from Warren Hospital. All right. They wanted to know when he was available. As long as a Greystone physician cleared him for work, Charlie was headed back to the night shift. Oh, my gosh. They called him at the Greystone Psychiatric Care. The hospital called him at a mental hospital and told him to come into work. (laughs) Wow. They were desperate. (laughs) It's like, dude, whoa, what the fuck? Are you fucking shitting me? Wow. They called him at a psych ward and hired him back. It's fucking nuts, dude. Wow. Eventually got terminated at so many hospitals in New Jersey, he simply crossed the Pennsylvania border because they, because the state of Pennsylvania requires a different nursing license, which means a clean start, right? There's no blemishes on that Mm, license. Right. On October 1st, Cullen was seen with syringes entering the room of an elderly woman who was not his patient and delivering her drugs that weren't prescribed. A scuffle ensued, and the patient ended up with a broken wrist. Finally, five months after Mr. Henry's death, his killer was fired for failure to follow drug protocol. Charlie was the only one on the couch for two days before a staffing agency found him nursing work. It was always easy to get extra hours during the holidays. Yikes. So some of these neutral references I'm talking about, this is actual some of the reference from when they found his you know, when they went, when the police went through his sheets, um, excellent team player, calm, gentle, always willing to come in for extra shifts. Wow. Yeah. Okay. He's working in St. Luke hospital right now. And on June 8th, he was actually escorted to his car by police. A nurse actually filed a police report. Now this is about eight years before he's finally called. A nurse files a police report saying that this guy, this nurse, Charles Cullen, is intentionally killing his patients with digoxin and insulin. She filed that report, and it's public. 
Okay. So, I mean, how did even before this, when he had a scuffle with the patient and the patient had a, broke his wrist, how mm-hmm. is that not like an assault? Broke right. her wrist. That broke her yeah. wrist. Yeah. Yeah. I, like, what? Are you fucking kidding me? Oh, what I didn't get into is some of the other arrests Charlie had. Like, he was stalking one of the other nurses, broke into her house, and watched him and his daughter or him and her daughter sleep in the bed. Oh my gosh. He broke in with a brick right through the window and just watched what her sleep. The fuck? And didn't get in any trouble. That was June 8th. He's fired from St. Luke. Ten minutes later, he pulls into Allentown, Pennsylvania for his night shift at the CCU at Sacred Heart Hospital, which he just got a job. Ten minutes after he's fired, he walks out to his car, escorted by two police. Now he's going in for his shift at Sacred Heart. Now, he was fired at Sacred Heart because all the nurses knew that he was doing this, and they threatened to quit in mass if they didn't fire him. That's the only reason he was fired from Sacred Heart. Good for them, though, I guess. Better than nothing. Mm. Now, as I said at the beginning, he was actually given the patients digoxin, which here is uh, our friend, Tocos Primo, and host of the Quackery podcast. He's a pharmacist. He's probably one of the smartest guys I know. His name is Will. He's going to tell us what digoxin is and how it affects your body. What is up, Tacos? It is your boy here, Dr. Will the Pill. Uh, and John reached out to me and... Uh, he just wanted me to talk a little bit about a drug here uh, on their episode, uh, digoxin. Uh, you'll hear it called dig by, you know, uh, people at the hospital, sort of a, a short thing. It's um, it's actually a classified as a cardiac glycoside. It's really old. Um, it came out, uh, was approved by the FDA in 1954, but it's been around for, for forever because it's uh, actually – derived from the plant foxglove. So it's one that came uh, synthesized naturally from a plant. So obviously cardiac in the name has to do with the heart. Uh, It actually helps control rhythm and rate for the heart by using, uh, it kind of controls the potassium and uh, sodium levels inside the heart. And so when taking it at the appropriate dose, it will help maintain a, a normal heart rhythm and rate for people who you know, having uh, a regular heartbeat. Now, I assume in John's episode, somebody is either took too much of it or is giving someone too much of it, which would be a big problem uh, because obviously when something that's going to control heart rate, you take too much, it's going to completely throw everything out of whack. So you, you can get what's called uh, digoxin uh, poisoning or toxicity um, and really just see a lot of different bad side effects. Um, Blurred vision, vomiting, loss of appetite, confusion. You can actually have color change perception, decreased energy, and of course, it can make your 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 heartbeat way out of whack, either too fast or too slow, which you know w- would be a big problem. You could uh, you can end up having a heart attack and dying. Would not be a very nice way to go. Um, so I'm eager to hear the rest of this episode, guys, and don't forget to check out. Your other favorite podcast, Quackery, also on the Taco Cast Network. Ah, ah. So, digoxin basically slows the firing mechanisms of the heart muscles. It's a, it's a muscle relaxer for your heart. And that's what he was killing patients with. That was his primary weapon. Wow. Know? I mean, it's hard to imagine that that would be prescribed often in other scenarios, right. you know? It's not, but it's, it's more available mm-hmm. than because it's not like. 
it's not like a insulin where it's all lock and key or you know something mm-hmm. that you could really fuck something up with. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is like just everywhere. It's, it's like a from what I found out, it's like a um, a higher dose Tylenol Which type is, of shit. Yeah, so you know. But if you give someone enough of it, then they're fucked. Yeah. Right. Anyway, the Jackson they call it Dig or the Dig and. It is red, readily available in critical care, which is huh. what where he works. Uh. Now, this is Charles Cullen talking about Dijoxin. Why did you like Ditch? Ditch, uh, you know, was, an, was a very powerful cardiac medication. What does it do to someone? In small amounts, it slows the heart rate down. In larger amounts, it can cause what's called complete heart block. And then the heart is very irregular. And... You know, it can cause death. It does cause death in large amounts. It's it's kind of unfortunate because I feel that if in order to kill someone, you really need to know what you're doing in the medical field. You know what I mean? Like mm-hmm. it, to kill someone intentionally. So it seems like he could have been a great nurse if he was not, you know, killing his patients. Well, that's a good point. In fact, a lot of the nurses thought he was an excellent nurse, which kind of he was because, you he know, was think so about knowledgeable. it. Well, yeah. no, well, think it. Well, he was really good at wrapping the bodies too, and you know, sending the bodies off. But not only that, if someone starts to code, Charles Cullen would always know what to give them to reverse it. It's like magic. He knew I mean, what think got them about there. it. Yeah, he's the one that got him in the coma in the first place. He knows how to take him out. So the nurses were all like, wow, this guy's so intelligent. Somehow he knew that the heart muscles were slowing down. Like little did they know, he just injected this guy with digoxin. Mm -hmm. And now he's like bringing him back up. And these were not the patients weren't just like, oh, I'm tired. I'm going to take a nap. They were suffering like this. This was hell for these patients. The insulin thing, what it does if you don't have the proper amount of glucose, your brain starts eating all you have. And then once it's done, it starts shutting down and you you get brain damage from that. And there was a patient that was without proper glucose levels for three hours. Wow. And it's supposed to be intense pain and, and everything else. And, and he was just suffering. Because he spiked them, you know? Wow. He was also using what's called vec- vecurium bromide. This is from the book, if you want to read, about VEC. That's what they call it, VEC. VEC is an exceptionally powerful paralytic. Overdose by vecronium bromide would be much like drowning or slow suffocation. The musculature of the body shuts down, but the person inside remains intact, at least until the heart muscles and lungs fail. Worse, the patient would suffer all of it. The VEC would keep you from moving or screaming, but it would not stop you from feeling pain. That's crazy. You know what that reminds me of? Have y'all seen that movie? I can't remember what it's called, but this guy, he's on an operating table, and the doctors were like the bad guys, and they put him under, like in a coma. Oh. And... Yes, you know what I'm talking about. But he was still awake, but he couldn't move anything mm. at all. He couldn't move any muscle, but he, he could hear them, you know, saying, all right, w- you know, at this time we're going to kill this guy. And like, I do. Rem- mm-hmm. uh, yeah, I, I can't think of the movie, though. But, I mean, how freaking scary as shit would that be 
you know, this Vec, when the patient would suffer all of it, you know, the person's insides remain intact, at least until the heart muscles and lungs fell. It would keep you from moving or screaming, but it would not stop you from feeling pain. Holy fuck, dude. So this is what the patients were going through. This, and I'm not going to go down the road of this drug particularly, but the hospital... You guys know what the Sharps container is? Mm-hmm. Like, a, yeah. W- whenever you use a needle, you throw it in this big bin. Yep. It's a Sharps yep. container. Yep. So you don't reuse needles. Yep. You know, or spread AIDS or stuff mm-hmm. like that. So, anyway, they started finding medications stuffed down here. Charlie, to get back at the hospital for whatever reason, I mean, he's already killing all the patients, was taking medication, thousands of dollars of it every shift and shoving it down the sharps box, you know, to throw it away to cost hospital money. Anyway, here's another time when they could have called, Hey, everyone stop. We have a killer on the loose because in one of these sharp boxes was a bunch of this vacurium bromide. This drug comes in two parts. I I cannot remember the word. It comes in a powdered form. And then you take the second part, which is saline and you mix it into the powder. You you see what I'm saying? Mm Mm-hmm. It's, it comes in a powder, but it's not the medicine yet. You have to mix it with the other part. Gotcha. You know? Okay. Yeah. It's almost like on Resident Evil when you take the green plant and you can mix it with the yellow plant and it'll be like, you know, more the tube. Or more potent or whatever. Anyway, they found the VEC in the bottom of the Sharps containers and they had all been mixed together. Like hmm. 20 vials of this stuff had been mixed together and it they were and it was missing. Therefore... Everyone on the floor that night was poisoned with this vercromian bromide. Hmm. Every one of them. Wow. And guess who's not there? Because he just left for the freaking to go home to sleep. Charlie. They knew that this was him. These hospitals knew. And not only that, do you know what these hospitals would do? Like when something like this happens, they don't call the police. They call their lawyer. And you know who talks to Charlie first is the hospital lawyer mm. because they want to protect their own right. s- their yes. own image mm-hmm. over the patient's health. I can just picture Ted from Scrubs. Yeah. Like, okay, <laughs> this is not good. To really drive that point home where they don't care about the patients as much as their own image, this is the medical director for the Somerset Hospital. He didn't know he was being recorded. And this is what he said. This is a police matter. What we're wrestling with is, um, you know, throwing the whole in. Okay, to give you a little context, what you're listening to now is Somerset Hospital. This is when Charlie was finally caught for his crimes. They had five patient deaths. Well, they actually had two, and they didn't do anything. They didn't go to the police or anything. They were doing their own internal investigation. Anyway, three more patients died, and a pharmacist actually is the one that called the Poison Control Center in New Jersey and to ask about an insane level a patient had, toxicity levels. And that sparked this guy, Dr. Stephen Marcus, to put his foot up Somerset Hospital's ass. And he actually calls the medical director of the hospital and recorded the phone call without telling him. And this is what this explains perfectly the mindset of these hospitals right here. 
This is a police matter. What we're wrestling with is, um, you know, throwing the whole institution into chaos versus, uh, you know, responsibility to, you know, protect patients from further harm. And so he says what we're dealing with is trying to wrestle with throwing the image of the hospital, you know, into disarray versus the patient harm, further patient harm. Mm. Dude, they could have stopped this guy from killing more people right here. And this is the reason why they didn't, because they are concerned about the hospital's rankings and the, you know, whatever the fuck, who cares? Harm and um, we have been trying to investigate this to get some more information before we made any kind of rush to, you know, judgment. If there is somebody out there that is purposely doing this to, to individuals at your hospital, we have a legal obligation to report this. Yep. Okay. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. The fact that this was going on for 16 years is an embarrassment. Mm -hmm. I mean, from the multiple hospitals. Mm -hmm. I mean, it's not just that it was one hospital. This is the fault of many, many, many of them. All of them. Okay. This is a 21-year-old victim. This is the mother talking right here. This is from the 60 Minutes my heart it aches for my son it bleeds for my son we vividly remember charles cullen walking into the waiting room he looked us right in the eye and stated how michael was gravely ill and people don't make it and my wife told cullen that's enough you could leave now we're haunted by the memory of charles cullen coming to the waiting room to get our reaction their 21 year old son had to get his spleen removed uh -huh. and now he's dead mm. charlie goes into the waiting room tells them that their son is in grave condition and that he's going to die just to get the reaction from the parents because wow. that, that you know it's like ted bundy if you scream and, and you're all like oh my god this is the worst thing ever yeah. then that's how he gets off so he gets off on going and talking to the patients and Telling them that their 21-year-old son who got his spleen removed is now dead. That's how he gets off. And in the interviews, he talks about all this talk about how he wants to help the victims that were suffering. Oh, please. It's all bullshit. It's complete horse shit. This guy is a, he's a fucking psychopath monster. So was this young kid that just died that we saw the mom, was that what kind of brought him into justice? Was that the tipping um, no, the tipping point was when he worked at Somerset. There were five different patients and the investigation started to roll. I mean, honestly, like when you played the clip of the guy at the hospital talking about like, oh, we, we kind of want to keep this under wraps. And they said, no, it's it's the obligation of the hospital to report that. Like, that's so true. Like the hospital mm -hmm. is in worse shit if they know about it and they don't report it mm -hmm. than if they... You exactly. Know, like I know it's a pain going through that investigation, and yeah, it creates chaos. But they are they get in worse shit if they find out about it, they know about it, and they help cover mm -hmm. it up. Well, here's the thing: all that is discoverable. Mm -hmm. Here's the thing about Somerset: not only did they offer Charlie a ten thousand dollar bonus, and he killed at least five of their patients, it took them three months after this stuff you heard with the the doctor, the direct, the medical director. To get all their lawyers in place and everything else. So three more people are dead, probably a lot more, while they were doing all this shit. 
getting everything prepared and Charlie's killing people. They know it's him. They know it's Charlie, but they're doing their, quote, internal investigation, which turned up nothing. You know what they ended up doing? They got two homicide detectives from New Jersey, Mm -hmm. homicide unit, that, you know, works body cases street corner cases, Mm -hmm. drug cases, Mm -hmm. not drugs like in the hospital. They don't know. They had to get Charles's friend, Amy, the one that eventually got him to confess, to come in and work with them to explain what digoxin and all this shit is. Mm. And it took them two phone calls, two phone calls. All they did was call the past employers and talk to some nurses at the past jobs. And they were like, yeah, he's been killing people. Wow. It took them two phone calls a day, and this internal investigation that lasted three months was nothing. It was them getting their lawyers in order, you know, so they can protect their self-image. And so many other people had died because that shit, that, that's that's what the the real fucking killer is, these fucking yeah. hospitals. I, I know yeah. this guy is, but, you know. Yeah, yeah, they let it go on. They enabled him. Uh, one of the five patients was this guy named Mr. Strickland. If you want to read this. Even the most hardened of veteran day nurses say it was truly horrifying. The man thrashing in his bed, the alarm screaming, the family yelling for somebody to please do something. Strickland was now grinding and frothing like he'd bit a live wire, as if his brain temporal lobe had pulsed in spasm. The nurses had pumped Mr. Strickland with glucose all day, but the man kept crashing. Mr. Strickland would survive, at least in body. He'd remain at Somerset. It took two weeks before Charles Cullen finally finished Mr. Strickland with a midnight dose of dig. Isn't that fucking nuts? That's crazy. So two weeks he was like gunning for this guy. When Somerset found out, oh shit, he's killing people with insulin, he switched to dibutamine, which is like a adrenaline, and he started killing people with that. Oh, jeez. As I mentioned earlier, this was in that little vending machine with the meds. Yeah. How he would do that. And this is how clever he was not. He found out this one thing that if he would put an order in for, let's say, insulin, which you're not supposed to just draw that out unless you have a patient that needs it. He would put his code in. But do I want insulin. And then he would cancel the order real quick. But the drawer would already pop open. So he would take it uh. and then shut it. Knowing that, oh, it's not going to be on file. But this computer thing recorded everything. Uh, and in fact, at Somerset Hospital, while I'm on this, while I'm talking about this, they told the detectives, the two detectives that were not hospital detectives that actually solved the case, that the machine, the the Prixis machine, the mm-hmm. vending machine, only stored data up to thirty days. That was a lie. They didn't want. The detectives to pull back the records from all the months he's been killing people. They lied oh, to the shit. detectives. That's oh, obstruction. Yeah. Shit. That's obstruction of justice. Yeah. Oh shit! Exactly. Man, deep doo doo. So I'm putting their interview on talkmore.com. It's crazy. These guys, you know, with the help of one of the other nurses, solved the whole case. And the hospital not only did they let this happen, but they were lying to the detectives because they wanted to cover their ass. Oh, the records are only for thirty days. They went back, you know, infinite. They're computer records. It's a fucking hard drive. Mm -hmm. You you know, what the fuck? Like, why would they be 30 days? Like, this is fucking medicine, you know? Wow. 
they lie to the detectives, obstruction of justice. Anyway, let me run through this real quick. So obviously, Charlie was the main suspect. May 28th, Mr. Joseph Lieben was dead. June 4th, Miss Frances Kane. June 16th, Miss Jin Kyung Han. On June 28th, Reverend Florian Gall, which was one of the big ones that got the ball rolling. On August 27th, Francis Agodia. How they called him is they got a nurse that used to work with them. Her name was Amy Ridgeway. That was his best friend, his only friend, you know, mm-hmm. that but he had. But she suspected him. No, she didn't suspect him. When they approached him and because the hospital didn't fire him, the, de- the detectives had to go arrest him. Knowing that it's all circumstantial, okay, he's killed 400 people. How the fuck, you know, how can you prove that? You can't. This happened so right. for over 13 years. So what they did was they convinced her best, his best friend, Amy, Amy Ridgeway, to get Charlie to come in and confess and everything else. And if it wasn't for her, he would still be out on the street because it is all circumstantial. You can't really prove that, okay, it was this guy that spiked the needle because the needles, you know, go into the insulin, go into the the bag, then go into the sparks container mm-hmm. or the sharps container. Right. And like, I mean, how, you know, there's 10,000 other sharps in there. How the fuck, you know, it's literally impossible to do. But if it wasn't for her, he wouldn't be behind bars as he is today. Wow. He's killed about 400 people. So obviously he's in prison for multiple life terms. But Good. here's the sentencing a little bit about that. You are hereby sentenced to New Jersey State Prison to two consecutive life sentences, which, with the application of the No Early Release Act, that is NJSA 2C colon 43-7.2, mandates a period of 85% or approximately 127 and a half years of parole ineligibility. Wow. Yeah, and you can see some of the victim impact statements on putting all those videos on talkmore.com. It's pretty sad. Yeah. They um the all the families are like you know, I mean, look at this guy real quick. He doesn't the whole time Charles Cullen is in the courtroom, he doesn't even look up. He doesn't say anything. He's being asked questions. He doesn't say anything. It's it's really yeah, it's really I don't know what it is, but mm-hmm. it's kind of crazy cuz the victim's families are calling him by his name. Charlie, look at this. Look at this photo of my father kind of shit. About my mother that you murdered. You don't even have the guts to look this way, do you? Charles, why don't you look up at us? I'd like to show you what you did to our children. This is their dad in his coffin. How do you like that? It's crazy. He didn't say a word. He didn't even look up. Did the hospitals <laughs> get in trouble? Fuck no. Are you kidding me? Well, I was going to say, I mean, <laughs> so there's, I would imagine the families could file a civil suit against the hospitals and get some I mean, yeah, compensation, they, they probably did, but there was, I mean, as far as someone getting arrested or the. No, I can't see that yeah. anyone at the hospital getting arrested, but I could see. Yeah, they probably got sued out their ass. Yeah. I didn't look through all that stuff, but. I hope they did. But anyway. That is the Charles Cullen story, The Angel of Death. It's a really hard story to to map out as far as the details of each crime. You know, w- with the victims, we kind of got to say what happens when you overdose on insulin or digoxin. Like, what's the norm? Right. You know, because there's no definite records of that. But, but he did 
admit to at least 40, and most people think he's killed 400. Wow. Which would make him, and everyone says this, the most prolific serial killer of all time. That You hear that word all the time. Right. Yeah, anyway, a lot of people like to throw that one around. Yeah. yeah, but there is one guy that he did beat. Now, this is before I knew about Charles Cullen. Harold Shipman, he's from the UK, mm-hmm. and he's killed 240 or something like that. In, an, in a doctor death situation as well? No, he, actually, that his moniker is Dr. Death, yeah. What about Dr. Kevorkian? How well, many we're people did do, he kill? I don't know how many people he killed. I want to do that story. I'm waiting on Will to do that story with me. Oh, that'd be a but, good um, one to do the other Yeah, because yeah, he didn't actually kill anybody. Oh, well, He actually let the patients kill themselves. Right. It's kind of interesting. But I usually don't do Angel of Death stories, but I did that for you, Kristen. If you want to request a story for me to do, it's simple. Just go to talkmurder.com slash join and support this podcast. And it's a one-time payment and you get a t-shirt and, and we talk about you behind your back. In, in glowing ways. <laughs> yeah. And you're in our membership, our inner circle for life. So... It's a cult. Let's be clear. You're paying to be a cult. Thank you. (laughs) If you enjoyed this episode, be sure to hit that subscribe button on whatever podcasting app you use if you like this story. You can follow us on social media, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. If you're absolutely obsessed with this podcast and want to become our fish belly, go to talkmurder.com slash join. Become a Talkos Primo. Get a badass t-shirt, sticker swag, a lot of love, shout it out all over the place. Tell me what story you want me to do. I'll research it, dedicate to you right here on the Talk Murder Me podcast. My name is John here with Jen and Nicole. Until next time, good night, you lovely, lovely people. At Huntington, we've been asking ourselves, can we make saving money any easier? And we think we've solved it. Introducing Money Scout. It analyzes your spending habits, income, and expenses to find money not being used in your checking account, then pushes it to savings automatically. Why would a bank do that? Just to help people thrive. That's how we reinvent banking. Huntington, welcome. Subject to eligibility, terms, conditions, and account agreements. Learn more and enroll at Huntington.com slash MoneyScout. There are so many reasons not to skip breakfast. So many savory, mouth-watering, tasty, delicious beyond all belief reasons. Actually, that last one was pretty convincing. Stop by for a McDonald's breakfast. Mix and match a sausage biscuit, sausage McMuffin, sausage burrito, or hash browns. Any two for just two bucks. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with combo meal.